Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us back here for our number two of Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Arizona Cardinals, a massive, massive contest upcoming this Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. And I want to start with this news with our next guest, Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals insider for Arizona Sports, here joining us now on the Arizona Sports Line. The roof is open, Tyler. Expected to be open. Oh, okay. Well, I chose Way you that to I damper can't the read. mood, man. We no, no, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, we missed you last week. I know you were busy out doing wedding related things, but how's it be able to be back at it? I guess is the phrase that I was looking for there. That's what the young kids are saying these yes. days. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was good. It was a, a great trip. Uh, good little uh, reboot to come back and and you know come back and hit it hard. And it's been great being back. It's nice and chilly. I think I brought some of the weather back from California with me. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely football weather. And and uh, yeah, they need uh, Cardinals. Really need to need to show the uh, world that they can pull one uh, pull one out here in a very much needed uh, win with you know two more divisional games after this one. Yeah, so the Cardinals get the Seahawks in Glendale this time. Last time they played each other, which was seemingly like three days ago, uh, they scored. The Cardinals scored nine points, only three of them offensive. What can we take away from the last time these two teams met, and how can they use it this time against the Seahawks? Yeah, you know, I think we're going to see two different teams. I know it's. I know it's. Like you just said, it feels like it was three days ago. But, uh, you know, I think there's going to be two different squads that roll out. And I think we're going to see a Cardinals team that is much more, uh, I don't want to say offensively sound, but took a step offensively since that last game, I think, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they've been able to put up some more points in the last couple of weeks. So that's good. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins obviously helps. Uh, but then you've got to also look at the Seahawks. I mean, their defense has stepped up, you know, really uh, across the board. They've improved their numbers. Uh, Tariq Woolen is really playing out of his mind. And and then you look on the off, uh, offensive side, and you've got Kenneth Walker, who's just really, really playing just unbelievably for a rookie. And then Geno Smith just keeps doing Geno Smith things for this year. It's just, you know, I think we're all waiting for that other shoe to drop, and it might not. That's, I mean, they're really playing really well. So we're going to see a little bit of, uh, you know, I think we'll see different teams really come out. And I think, I think the Cardinals will have a way to score. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a big part of that. You know, if they get James Conner back, that's huge too against the Seahawks team that really struggles against the run. But uh, it's really going to come down to, you know, yeah, putting points on the board. You know, it's funny you bring up Hopkins, and that was obviously the piece that was missing the last time these two teams faced. But Seattle has had a pretty solid outing this season from their corner in Tariq Woolen. How do you foresee that matchup playing out? And if it becomes a problem for the Cardinals, who do you see them going to after that? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, even DeAndre Hopkins acknowledged his play. I mean, he's... He was the defensive rookie of the month for uh, for October. So you can't. I mean, you've got to recognize that he got four interceptions. It's tied for the league for for most in the league. So the guy is really playing out of his mind, and and I think it's going to be one of those. It, it could be very well. It could be a teaching moment, really. I think for him with DeAndre Hopkins, I don't. I don't think he's faced the guy quite like Hop. And I mean, I think we saw last week with the one hand grabs and everything else. I mean, Hopkins is going to going to show you a couple of things that he's, he probably hasn't seen. So. Uh, I would be very surprised if he's not traveling with Hopkins, but at the same time, who knows? We'll see what this defense 
what Pete Carroll wants to run out with this defense. But uh, if that is the case, I would say, I mean, I think it's, it's one of those games where I think it's Robbie Anderson's time to really get more snaps and get more targets, get more reps. And from there, maybe a Rondell Moore down the field. But uh, yeah, I think they definitely have to, they definitely have to utilize the, the guys around Hopkins. Cause I think he's going to get a lot of the, a lot of the attention as he should. Talking with Tyler Drake, he's our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Ty, to go along with the offensive conversation we're having, Rodney Hudson is scheduled as out. He's going to miss, what is it, his fifth straight game, I think it is. And I think there was a big problem that their offensive line was really exposed against the Vikings last week. A lot of pressure up the middle. Billy Price didn't seem up for the task. Um, it's a huge issue. I, I know DJ Humphreys listed as questionable. I don't know if you have any update on, on him and whether he's playing or not. When you're missing key cogs in your offensive line, it creates a, tons, a ton of issues. It, it didn't give Kyler Murray time to effectively get the passing game going. And right now, this Cardinals team has zero run game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you nailed all of them. Uh, the one thing I will say, you know, uh, talking to Billy Price this week, he say, he seems like, you know, he's he's still coming along, getting that, you know, the full playbook down. And I mean, he told us he he had to learn two playbooks in the, in like a six week span. So that's pretty, you know, nuts by itself. So I think that's a, that's a process. I but you know, he does sound really confident. He sounds like his relationship with Kyler. You know, he's building that chemistry with him. So. That's a solid thing, but obviously, yeah. I mean, Ronnie Hudson not playing—that's that's huge. I mean, that guy sets everything up. It helps Kyler a ton, and and you know, moving forward, I, who who knows how many more games he plays this for the rest of the season? I mean, I think we're at that point where it's really an unknown, and it sucks to say because he is really a vital part of that team. Uh, and then outside of that, you know, uh, I don't really have any updates on Humphreys other than you know he's he's going to be a game time decision along with James Conner. Uh, and Buda Baker, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I, I, I you know as much as it would be a bummer if he can't play, I think Josh Jones coming in and filling in for him and at tackle would be also a good thing, and not only for right now but uh, something down the road, just because they've talked so highly about him moving into a starting tackle position role at some point down the road. So, you know, for as much as it would hurt to lose a guy like Humphreys for the week, you know, it also could benefit them in another way with Jones playing. I tell you what, it's amazing when you put the guys that you draft in the positions that they played in college. It's otherworldly for those, for those guys' careers. <laughs> hey, Cardinals GM Steve Kime was on with Wolf and Luke yesterday, and he talked about how alarmed he was with the inconsistency of the offense and then pointed to the number of talented players on the side of that ball. One of them we haven't really gotten to see yet is Robbie Anderson, who actually took a decrease in snaps after the first week that he had with them where he had just gotten traded two days before. Why is there such a struggle to get the guys that Kime is adding to Cliff Kingsbury's roster into the game? Like, why is there what feels like a disconnect between these two guys? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question because, I mean, I think a lot of people, when they saw the snap counts, I think the first thing they went to was, hey, how did Christian McCaffrey come out here and play so much with the Niners really coming off of getting traded and then you see you know Robbie Anderson's low snap count low play just I mean I think he had one target the first game so uh yeah it's definitely something that is that needs to be addressed and I get slow rolling guys into things and not wanting to give them too much but at the same time it's mid-season there's really no wiggle room as Cliff said as really everybody said this week like there's there's really no wiggle room anymore like they've got to get on they've got to get going so uh, definitely uh, eye raising, eyebrow raising for sure, and and it's one of those things that you know it's it's <laughs> it's just 
we keep going through the week and it seems like, all right, this might be the week he'll get more snaps and then it's not. But at the same time, we, we can go back to the Isaiah Simmons thing where he was not playing and then out of nowhere played more. And then, so it's just, uh, I think it's just the nature of the beast right now for this team. Talking to Tyler Drake, Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. I saw, Ty, that the Cardinals added punter Andy Lee to the injury report as questionable for Sunday's game. Of course, we already know Matt Prater has been dealing with injuries as well. Here's a fun hypothetical for you. If the Cardinals don't have a punter on Sunday, who does the punting? Well, that was, uh, (laughs) I actually tweeted that. I wonder how good uh, Eno can punt. (laughs) (laughs) he might Might have to he might have to i mean listen this is one of the teams widely credited around the league as the the cardinals go for it on fourth down and for two-point conversions more than any other team already but we saw when they didn't have matt prater they did not have confidence in matt amandola it was evident that they didn't want to have to kick field goals now if you don't have a punter i mean if you're backed up in your own territory this creates serious problems on sunday Oh yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how they navigate this if if Lee ends up not being able to go. Hopefully, you know, I think it was a last minute illness, so maybe it's a twenty four hour thing and he gets over it. But uh, yeah, definitely gonna be interesting to see how they navigate if they don't have him or if they just have to get somebody off. You know, I don't know. If they have to bring somebody in last second, and that's just another another one of those things that we're all gonna have to watch because how is that relationship gonna be with the long snapper and, and you know so can that yeah, happen more can fun, they, can more they go get a teams. can they go get a guy off the street right now for tomorrow's game I'm, that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out I don't know if they have to they'll probably have to do some roster maneuvering but if it, if yeah. it really gets down to that I'm sure they would I mean I'm sure they would have to add some kind of well, they need somebody to do that job because we know that the offense doesn't move, so they need somebody to punt when they uh, stall out. <laughs> Tyler Drake from Arizona Sports, our Arizona Cardinals insider, joining us here on the show. Who concerns you more on the Seahawks offense, Kenneth Walker or DK Metcalf? Oh, I think it's got to be Kenneth Walker right now. I think, for, you know, to be honest, and I hope I don't say this and jinx it, but I think, you know, Marco and Byron have been playing solid in that secondary. And I think right now, Kenneth Walker is making that Seattle team, you know, that Seattle offense really go. They've turned from more of that big play passing, you know, attack to let's just ground and pound on the run. And then he'll, he'll burn off a couple of a huge gains and, and a couple of big touchdowns. So Kenneth Walker is the guy to watch. Uh, if if they can move the ball on the ground, I mean, Gino has even more more uh, more weapons at his disposal. You know, getting into the pass game, play action, all that. So definitely got to stop Kenneth Walker. I think that's the number one priority, and then move on to Gino from there, and, and you know, pin the ears back and try to get a couple sacks. All right, Ty, warm up that leg. We might need it tomorrow. Yep, yep, I'm I'm getting it ready. And All dress right. accordingly if the roof is open. Just, just warning you. <laughs> Expected, Expected to be open. Expected. Right. Well, Let's tamper our expectations. Thanks, Ty. No problem. All right, that's Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider from ArizonaSports.com. He joins us on the Arizona Sports line. We might not have a punter tomorrow. You know what? Let's just score touchdowns on every drive, and then we don't have to worry about you it. You know how the, earlier this year ASU was doing open tryouts? For roster spots on the football team. Oh yeah, Cardinals should just do that. Open tryouts, fans. Hey, the game you is be the tomorrow, team's Mitch. It's tomorrow. Dude, try anything. <laughs> try anything. Get us out of here. What's next? Coming up next. As much as I didn't want to talk about it, I thought we were done with this. Are Kevin Durant rumors really, really coming back now? We'll tell you why and what we think about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, honestly, I was hoping we didn't have to do this, but we're going to do it. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Ferraldis with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. We Heck spent, yes, we're going to do it. We wasted three months of your life talking about... Wasted. 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 Three months of your life talking about Kevin Durant rumors. That he wanted out of Brooklyn, that even though he had, what, four years left on his contract or whatever it was, that he wanted out. Yeah, he still got four years left on his contract. And that he was possibly an option for the Suns this offseason. The whole thing with DeAndre Ayton happened. We don't have to relitigate all rehash. that. Now, all of a sudden, today, Saturday, November 5th, are Kevin Durant rumors officially back because of an injury to Cam Johnson? Not because of an injury to Cam Johnson. I want to clarify that this is not Suns related as to why it plays a role. Okay, it plays a role now. It we plays didn't, a role. We didn't know this when Bobby Marks of ESPN joined Burns and Gambo yesterday, and this is also before the Nets absolutely mauled the Washington Wizards. The Nets look like a dysfunctional mess right now. I mean, we don't they have, have for a while. We don't have to go yeah. in deep, but Nash getting fired, Kyrie Irving getting suspended, and. They just aren't winning. They aren't winning. They won last night, but they aren't winning like everybody expects them to. So Bobby Marks of ESPN joined Burns and Gamble yesterday and hinted at the idea that if this gets worse, you might hear Kevin Durant trade rumors again. I think the next 10 games, um, we'll see, you know, where this roster, you know, five of them without Irving, their schedule, you know, they're in Charlotte. I mean, they're in Washington. They got at Charlotte. And then it gets really tough. You know, Dallas, I think New York, you out west. Um, I, I'm interested to see where they are, you know, come, I guess, the, the end of November here. I mean, if they're 6 and 15, 6 and 16, I think you are revisiting the Durant stuff. So, if you're willing to wait the next nine games, let's eliminate yesterday because that was part of the 10. If you're willing to wait the next nine games and you see the Nets continue to flounder, are you calling? Are you trying to get their attention? Ah. <sighs> I don't know. It's so hard for me. First of all, the Suns are clearly still a good basketball team, so you don't have to. They were do, never not a good basketball you team. You don't have to do any of this, and they never really did. I think it's complicated now. So obviously, yesterday in the game, Cam Johnson leaves with a non-contact knee injury, which usually sounds like a really, really bad thing in sports. He walked off on his own power. I heard and then that he later left, left in crutches. Yeah, I heard he left in crutches, which it could be a precautionary thing. It's not the end of sure. the world. Could be. Uh, he could be gone for a while. He could be gone for a couple of days. He could be back t- tonight. I don't know. But uh, if Cam Johnson misses significant time, then that complicates things a little bit because he could be in a potential trade package. 100%. Or if you're going to trade everybody not named Cam Johnson to get Kevin Durant, now you have Kevin Durant and no Cam Johnson for the foreseeable future. Also so, true. Uh, that complicates things. Also, DeAndre Ayton, not tradable until January 15th. We've talked about that a lot over the last couple of months. So if you want him to be included in that package, you can't for the next, what is it, two and a half months. But I th- I think we can rule out Ayton okay, as well part then, of any potential Durant deal. I okay, think we can rule him out. If he's ruled out, then the trade package is everyone else. It it's, starts with Jay Crowder. Okay, but how, the most expensive how desirable non-used... is Jay Crowder right now? I don't know. If you're the Nets, are you willing to just get out of this mess for anything? I'm not giving up Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's not the problem in Brooklyn. 
No. The problem is that they have Kyrie Irving, who's a flat earther, and said some stuff he really shouldn't have said on Twitter this well, week. He's saying a lot of things. And then refused to apologize for it. Uh, they've got that guy, who, by the way, is still a good basketball player, but just a moron. Uh, then you've got Ben Simmons, who I think doesn't know how to play basketball and hasn't really played in about two years, and now we're starting to see the repercussions of that. He doesn't have a jump shot, which is literally the one thing you're supposed to be able to do when you're a basketball player. Yep. So the Nets are just in shambles right now. Is that enough for them to just sell Kevin Durant for pennies? Well, I don't think so. Well, Bobby Marks implies that the leverage is completely lost by Brooklyn if they have to go down this road. The package of home run players that you're looking for is probably not there. The Pascal Siakam's of the world is, is probably not there right now. Brandon Ingram, you know, certainly the guys in, in Phoenix here. So now you're looking at, you know, are we looking just to get back draft picks for pick swaps, maybe some serviceable players like Utah did here. And I think, I think that's a decision that the front office will probably have to answer when we get to late November, probably early December. And we know one thing is for certain. James Jones does not like to draft. That's true. Now, it's he doesn't a, value them. It's the a same loose way. way of explaining how he views the draft process, but think about it. James Jones would much would rather have a team of guys that already know what they're doing than have to, you know, develop a bunch of guys. They got rid of their G League affiliation a few years ago. Let's not forget that. This is not a team that wants to spend time bringing in a bunch of young guys and teaching them how to be stars. Think about Cam Johnson. He was a four-year starter at North Carolina. One of the oldest players in his draft class. Mikel Bridges, four years at Villanova. Like These aren't guys that are just ones and dones, right? Yeah, I I have a hard time believing that what Bobby Mark says. I I, I like Bobby. I think he's great at what he does, and he seems to have... uh, a good idea of what's going on around the league. If this is true, that maybe you could get this done with just a bunch of draft picks and you don't have to worry too much about players, then yeah, maybe the door's open and you could swing a deal for Durant. That'd be awesome. I just don't believe that. I still believe that it would take a package of Mikel Bridges. Uh, Crowder's probably got to be in there. Maybe another good role player. Four or five picks. I mean, like, you're really going to trade Durant just for picks? Plus, you got to make salaries match, so now you're throwing in a couple of other names. It's still a major package. I can't imagine it being just a, well, we lost leverage with Durant, so now we're just going to ship him out and see what we can get. I can't see the Nets doing that. I think also you can make an argument now that Rudy Gobert was most certainly not worth what Minnesota paid. And teams are going to be highly less likely to just give up four draft picks for one dude. Yeah, I never believed that that was setting a precedent like that would be continued. Well, now that trade. Now I don't think it could because one, look at Utah. They're at top of the conference right now. Minnesota can't figure out what they're doing. Rudy Gobert was dead silent the last night, the previous game against the Suns. I think that while that that was a high expectation and a high mark for a trade, I don't think that that realistically is going to now be the bar. I think it's Lowered to Bobby's point, like the leverage that the Brooklyn Nets have in a Kevin Durant trade is basically gone. Yeah, but how much leverage do the Suns have in a Jay Crowder trade? Because I know obviously that's the one piece everybody would throw in, right? Because he's not even playing for the Suns right now. That relationship seems to have been spoiled. I think how much leverage do the Suns have with a guy who refuses to play for them? I think the Suns have more leverage than Jay Crowder does. I mean, well, yeah. Here's here's the reality. But his leverage doesn't matter. Right here's the now. reality: if the Suns were say instead of six and two, they're two and six to start the year, then Jay Crowder has all the leverage. It's like, see, you need me, right? No, 
The Suns are six and two, and they're doing it without Jay Crowder. They don't need him, unless Cam Johnson's out for a long time. But I, then you might argue they. I'm might inclined need him. to believe they still don't need him. I don't know that that's even a bridge they can mend at this point. But I, I see your point. It's just this is Kevin Durant we're talking about. They're not just going to send him out from Brooklyn for scrap pieces. You're not going to be able to just put together a, a, a bunch of picks and, and make it happen. I really can't foresee that happening. As bad as the situation is in New York, and for what it's worth, we talked last week with Kevin Zimmerman, our friend over at the Empire of the Suns podcast, and he he knows the Suns better than anybody. And I asked him, at what record would the Suns have on January 15th where we wouldn't be talking about Kevin Durant as an option? Like, can they be, could they win every game between now and January 15th and we finally just stop talking about Kevin Durant as an option? And he said, it's really not about the Suns. It's about how bad the Nets are and, and what they're willing to move him for. So well, maybe Bobby's right, but I just can't see that happening. I was going to say, what was the number he threw out there? Like a six and a 15? Again, the Nets won last night, but they're still under 500 to start the year. Kevin Durant's playing like Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving was playing like Kyrie Irving, but they're a dysfunctional mess without draft picks for next year. Because Houston has all their draft picks. Again, though, and if they Durant's start, not the problem. And if they start to suffer, and this is a draft where you really don't want to be giving up picks to somebody else when Victor Wembenyama and Scoot Henderson are the best two prospects available, you want to be a part of that if your team sucks this year. So you think the Nets should just clean house and go after Victor Wembenyama? I think the Nets will get desperate. And they'll look at it and say, hey, we need picks. Team's not good. Let's try and get back in the draft and see if we can get lucky enough to grab this 7-3 Wunderkind. I don't know that the Suns' picks are going to help you get there. The Suns' picks are going to be in the 20s for the foreseeable future. I don't know that those are going to help you get Victor Wambanyama, if that's the ultimate goal. Well, unless it helps you package for something else. Who knows? Coming up next, Phoenix Suns, 6-2 and two start, but a tough loss last night. Let's go inside and see what the courtside man had to say about it. John Bloom, Phoenix Suns broadcaster, joins us next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Throwing in some Migos there. Sad news earlier this week about uh, takeoff. So we're doing some Migos songs coming back. Good one, Trev. Phoenix Suns last night, tough, tough loss. And probably one of the most frustrating hindsight losses that I've seen from a basketball game in a while. So we want to vent about it with uh, Phoenix Suns broadcaster and great friend of the show, John Bloom. Bloomer joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Bloomer, thanks so much for taking the time today. How are you? I'm all right, fellas. Uh, I am uh, glad that you're, uh, you know, pouring some out for for takeoff, and uh, good to hear the, the Migos on the show. Also, uh, I do want to just uh, get a little insight into how the Mitch and Steve, as opposed to Steve and Mitch, how that all went down. <laughs> like, was there a was it a high level meeting uh, of whose name got first billing in that? I asked for top billing, but they said we were going to go alphabetical by last name, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're always true. I know. He I missed know. it by two letters. <laughs> two letters, Bloomer. <laughs> oh, good that we can laugh after a tough one last night at the Footprint Center. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I took some calls to some ornery people. I'm sure you can imagine after that one. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm assuming you've seen the two-minute report by now. Is that one of the more frustrating losses in hindsight that you've seen from this Phoenix Suns team? 
Um, I don't know if I'd put it there because it's game eight of the season. Um, and we've certainly had frustrating losses in recent history that meant a lot more. Um, and where the performance was a lot more frustrating of the team. I don't think the team's performance necessarily was that frustrating. Some people might because they'll look across the way and see that there was no Damian Lillard and no Anthony Simons. And yet the Suns struggle with that young group. But I look at it as that's a difficult animal because you're taking on a team that you don't necessarily prepare for. You don't know how to prepare for. You don't ever prepare for Justice Winslow running the point uh, as a starting point guard in the NBA uh, and just barreling down the paint at you full speed like Luka Doncic style. So they had to adjust. They adjusted. It took a little while for them to adjust. And then the energy of the, of the young players of Portland, I give them a lot of credit. They, they definitely, you know, earned their right to be leading most of that game. And then when the Suns tried to flip the switch and turn it on, it's just a little bit tougher to do when you're not getting um, the benefit of the call as well. And you saw the two-minute report. I don't need to get too deep into that. But, yeah, three clear mistakes down the stretch that, that uh, played a factor in determining the winner of the game. Let's just leave it there. Yeah, oh, let's not leave it there. Bloomer, how many <laughs> steps did you count? Five. I counted over <laughs> and over and over before I went on the air last night. I counted five. five. It's hard to do that, you know, because I've got a – it's a Syracuse guy that knocked down that shot, and I'm never going to yeah. really get down on a, on a fellow true. Orangeman. But uh, at the same time, yeah, he got away with one, and, and everybody was saying, well, you can't call travel there. And my quick response to that was like, well, didn't they just call travel on Mikel the previous play? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can't say that they're not going to call a travel at that part of the game when they just did it, for crying out loud. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a tough one. I, I don't like to harp on calls. I never do. I never like to blame officials for determining how games, um, you know, how, how the results of the game end up. But in this case, it's hard to overlook it. Other than the two losses that they've had to Portland this year, 6-0 and oh against some actually pretty strong competition, including a beatdown of the Warriors. What have you seen from this Suns team that maybe is slightly different than last year's iteration? I think there are definitely some nuanced differences in the roster, and I think that the coaching staff is still figuring those nuances out, as we are as well, while we watch. Um, And I think that the mindset is probably the biggest shift, to be honest with you. Uh, I think you know, top to bottom, at least from the guys that are back, you have some new guys, and Damian Lee is bringing his own championship mindset to the table, Uh, and then you've got Jock Landell obviously playing a big role with this group. Uh, We'll see how much we see of Josh Okogie and Dwayne Watt. Washington Jr. and, you know, on down the way. But I think from what I've seen, the mindset of this group is not going to live and die as much with the wins and losses during the regular season because they understand really what it's going to take uh, to accomplish their ultimate goal. And now that they've gotten so close, you know, when, when they had the lead against Milwaukee in the finals and then last season, the heartbreak of not getting anywhere near where they wanted to get, uh, I think that they've kind of rallied around this approach. And, and again, that's the mindset, but it's also tricky because because you can see other teams who probably understand it just as well, but aren't necessarily playing at the level that this team is playing at. And that's because they still are led by arguably one of the greatest to ever play point guard in Chris Paul. And they still have the best shooting guard on the planet right now in Devin Booker. These are things that other teams don't have. 
We're talking with Phoenix Suns broadcaster John Bloom on Arizona Sports Saturday. And Bloomer, during yesterday's game, notably, Cam Johnson leaves the game early, five minutes in with uh, what looked like a non-contact knee injury, which usually is a very bad thing in sports. I don't know much about this. I don't know if you do what the timetable might look like, but... If, in fact, the Suns are without Cam Johnson for uh, a good chunk of time and with the only really comparable player they have to him on the bench is, would be Jay Crowder, who, of course, is not playing for the Suns these days. What do you do if you're without Cam Johnson for the foreseeable future? That's a great question. And and I don't have the answer yet either. I don't have the update on Cam. I'm hoping for the best. But uh, anytime you have like a, a knee thing and, and he was grabbing it pretty immediately and he was, you know, walking over to Monty during play to ask to come out of the game. And I was watching the whole thing go down. Tim Kempton and I actually shot each other a look before Al had noticed and before really anybody had noticed because we both kind of saw it go down in live action. And then watching his reaction was really what made us react ourselves. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how bad it's going to be. Um, but the question is, does this mean that you could actually mend something with a guy who could contribute in Jay Crowder? He's on the payroll, you know? I mean, he, he's got the uniform. Uh, the locker may still be there. I haven't seen it. But uh, I, I just this is a, a baffling situation. But it could end up being quite an insurance policy if Cam Johnson has to miss a significant amount of time that you do have a guy you could go to if you can, you know, say water under the bridge. Now, that I don't know. I don't know all the details of how Jay is feeling, how caught up in his feelings he is through this whole thing, and how James Jones and his staff feel about potentially mending it either. So I don't know if that's a feasible thing. If it is, then it's something that could happen quicker than, let's say, a trade. Because I think that's what everybody's waiting for. Well, they're just going to trade Jay Crowder. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen now. And even if Cam Johnson has to miss a lot of time, it it doesn't necessarily make it easier for James Jones and his crew to make a trade. Because then, of course, everybody knows that they're doing it out of desperation, which he's made a point to show that they're not desperate. That's why they haven't made a move uh, to this point. So I'm curious, just like you guys are, to see how this all plays out. But I know, first and foremost, my thoughts are with Cam Johnson and hoping that uh, that he's okay and that whatever went down with the knee is not that serious. Outside of the injury to Cam Johnson, however, would you personally welcome Jay Crowder back if he asked? Me personally, like John Bloom, the guy who just does radio stuff, hundred yeah, sure. percent. Okay, <laughs> <I felt laughs> yeah, like- thousand percent. I have no ill will towards Jay. I mean, I've said this all along. I'm just disappointed that he's not there. I love Jay Crowder and what he's contributed for this basketball team over the last couple of years. And I'll tell you, the most telling thing to me when we got Jay Crowder to begin with was all the fans from Miami and how upset they were to lose him. And then hearing all the fans from all the other stops he's made along his career in in the NBA and how much they loved him. This guy could run for mayor in almost every city he's played in. That to me told a quite a story. Now this is a disappointing turn to that story, how this has all resulted in him just sitting out and posting videos of him shooting in empty gyms. That's disappointing. That's the word I use because I'd rather see him playing basketball in the NBA and, and I'd rather, to see him playing for the Phoenix Suns, I'm not involved in those decisions, and I understand that there are a lot more to go into it than I even know, and so that's why I kind of remove myself from that and stay away from it. But, uh, yeah, you asked me personally, and that's why I say that. If I'm in the room that they're in right now deciding what to do uh, with this roster, there could be other things involved that, that I don't even have knowledge of.
We're talking with John Bloom, our good friend, a uh, guy who does radio stuff, as he so eloquently put it. Um, Bloomer, tonight, the Blazers back in the Suns building for the second night in a row. That's weird, right? Very weird. Um, you know, being a baseball fan, it's not uh, that foreign from a, a sports standpoint, but from a basketball standpoint, yes, to go back-to-back nights against the same team um, is unique. Uh, I don't hate it. I understand what the NBA is trying to accomplish in limiting some travel because the travel is definitely uh, a big part of, uh, you know, the lifestyle um, in the league. And, you know, I think it can contribute to the, to the style of play. I don't know how you guys feel, but it's the same thing. I feel like every time I turn on Thursday night football in the NFL, I just understand that it's not going to be as good of a product. It right. just, it just can't be right. So I think the NBA is trying to better the product. And for that reason, I applaud it. Uh, Speaking of the product tonight, uh, will we see Damian Lillard? We didn't see him yesterday. And like you mentioned earlier, it led to seeing some unusual players playing the point guard position. Uh, How might tonight's game be completely different from last night's game? It might be, but it might not be. I right. mean, that's the thing. We don't know, and we won't find out until right before tip-off because that's the way things are operating these days. So Chauncey Billups, uh, you know, hinted yesterday that Damian Lillard's getting close. I heard from uh, some guys with Portland that Dame is chomping at the bit and wants to be back out playing. Uh, that's his personality, and I get that, but it's another thing where he feels healthy and ready to go, and maybe the, the doctors are just being cautious because, again, we're in game nine of the season now tonight. So uh, he's a question mark. Anthony Simon's still a question mark for Portland, too. And if you haven't watched that young man play, I know he's now 23. I think this is his fourth or fifth season, believe it or not. But uh, he's just getting better and better. And uh, him not being there last night was another reason why it just looked like on paper a total mismatch. But sometimes that's what uh, becomes a trap game or whatever you know phrase you want to use for, for sports. Uh, tonight, I think the Suns will have their complete attention directed towards their opponent because they've lost two games and it's to that same squad. So uh, we'll see if they can get a little modicum of revenge uh, in game three here tonight. Bloomer, thanks so much for carving out some time for us. Have a great broadcast tonight. Thank you. And you guys keep doing a great job. Appreciate uh, the change uh, in name. And, and I do want a little bit more insight someday about the uh, at least the arm wrestling match or fist fight that you guys have. It'll have to be an off air story, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Bloomer, thanks so much. John Bloom, Phoenix Suns broadcaster. Bloomer. An awesome guy. In does general. radio stuff. Does radio as stuff. He, uh, as he put it. He does more than just some he radio totally stuff. He totally does more than some radio stuff. You know who I would like to do some more stuff? Robbie Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Why is he not doing more stuff? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis and Steve Zinsmeister, that's us. Trevor Henry behind the glass back here in the Akshin Community Studios. We've got about 45, can I do math correctly? 45 minutes left in this edition. Forgot to bring this up, by the way. So, Daylight Savings Time is tomorrow. It ends tomorrow. Yeah. That has... To make clear, that has no effect on you listening in Arizona right yeah, now. Yeah, don't change your clock don't do or anything. whatever. Don't do anything. The world will change for you. <laughs> but because of that, we are, after today, 
as far as I'm aware, no longer doing the extra half hour. Well, it changes when the Cardinals uh, transaction report will come out. So, so that, today, you could still expect the transaction report, hopefully, will be out around 1, 110, somewhere yes, in that range. Somewhere in there. Going forward, it'll be 2, 210. Because of around. the time change. So, Trev, we got you back your half hour. Aren't you happy? There you go. Y'all gonna call me weird, but I always adapt to the time change. Really? Yeah, so when the time changes, my body changes with the time. You know what I get frustrated about? But there about? is no change here. Uh, I'm still stuck in Michigan, man. You know what I get frustrated what? with is all of the stuff that I'm used to being on Pacific Coast time. Now I'm back to mountain time, so everything on the Pacific is now an hour behind us. I hate okay. it. Yeah, because I, I just to my TV shows. Yeah, that's true. But you live here. I know, for 12 years. It's weird. <laughs> when was the last time you were in Michigan? 12 years. 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Wait, like and you're still operating on Michigan time? Yeah, I told you it was going to sound weird. <laughs> That's East Coast. <laughs> I know. It's weird, but I'm being totally honest with you. Uh, wow. I love it. What time is it right now in your head? I think it's 3.30. Oh, oh my God. Don't make him work too hard, please. Oh Tre God. Trevor's already doing a lot of hard work for us. You required me to use my brain. Does, that kind of hurt. <laughs> how does that work? Physiologically, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I can't explain it, but it, it is what it is. Wow. <laughs> so the takeaway here is because of Daylight Savings Time ending tomorrow, we will not do the extra half hours anymore because the Cardinals transaction report comes out later. That's great for Trev. He's got to get home for dinner. I know. Then Steve and I have to go to the boss man and say, hey, can you extend our show to four hours on Saturday. <laughs> That's not going to happen, but it's wishful thinking. So, you know what else is wishful thinking? Robbie Anderson getting more than seven offensive snaps out of 78. That's how many he got against the Vikings last week. Seven out of 78 offensive snaps. For a total of zero catches. This guy was traded for two draft picks. Granted, their, three, their third day draft picks, but he was still traded Four draft picks, and he's played seven snaps in the most recent game. And in the week before that, if you want percentages, he went from 18 after being traded on a Monday and then having to play on a Thursday to 9% after getting a full extended week with the team. Hmm. What the hell is going on? Yeah. So first of all, uh, for context, they trade for Robbie Anderson after Hollywood Brown goes down, right? You're getting Hopkins back, but to replace the production of Brown, not the production, to replace the player on the roster, you go get Robbie to Anderson. Re to replace the letter on the play call sheet, because right. that's what it feels like. So the question is, why did he play more the first week and not the second week when it appeared that he could have been utilized? Now, he did get targeted three times on seven snaps. That's a pretty good percentage of time you're getting targeted while you're on the field. It's just an extremely small sample size. So, like, size. you know, he could maybe get more targets if he was on the field more. It's possible. <laughs> or you've now created an obvious tell of, we don't want to start Robbie Anderson on every play. Oh, but when he's out there, we're going to target him. You don't think defenses are going to key onto that quickly? Like, come on. How how lazy are you when it comes to drawing up an offense? It, yeah, it appears that way. I, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, obviously DeAndre Hopkins has adjusted swimmingly. He had 13 targets, 12 catches, 159 yards, and a score, and not to mention what he did in the Saints game the week prior. So he's fine. Rondell Moore, I thought they really unlocked Rondell Moore in this past game against the Vikings. You know why? Probably because Mar Marquise Hollywood-Brown was hurt. Probably. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the pessimist route everywhere you go with this. I'm sorry. 
I don't look at this as any sort of positive for this team going forward. Remember, they went two and four without DeAndre Hopkins, and the offense looked dreadful. DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Oh, what do you know? They have their first 40-point win in the Cliff Kingsbury era. The guy that was supposed to be, as Dan Bickley says, the offensive guru. There's no guru here. It's a, it's a bad guru. That's what it is. The love guru. That was bad. This is just... This makes no sense to me. Why would the GM go out and trade draft capital for a wide receiver who is actually pretty good and he never gets to see the field? Why? What is the purpose? My guess is that they see Rondale more in a different role than Robbie Anderson. They're very different receivers. One of them's like 6'5 and a twig, and the other one's like 5'8 and super, super fast. So they're very different. Maybe that role just hasn't opened up. Now, the real question is, how many snaps did A.J. Green get? Because he typically plays on the right side of the field, and a Robbie Anderson probably fits that mold more so than whatever role Rondale Moore is playing. 37. 37 snaps? 37 out of 78, so 47%. Okay, so more than half the time A.J. Green was playing. DeAndre Hopkins was out there for all of them. Rondale Moore was missed for one snap. Out of 78. And Anderson had how many snaps? Robbie Anderson had seven. Seven total snaps. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Seven. I think you could make a really good argument that some of those A.J. Green snaps should belong to Robbie Anderson. I think you can make an argument that Robbie Anderson should be on the field more, period. Yeah. Like, is this not the offense that wants to do creative things and utilize all their best players to their best abilities? Right now... Robbie Anderson might be one of your better deep ball threats that you have on this team. I think that it's only fair that we include Greg Dortch in this conversation, by the sure. way. Greg Dortch, according to Pro Football Focus, I know there's a love-hate relationship with them uh, on our station, but yes, according to Pro Football Focus, Greg Dortch is one of, if not the best receiver in the NFL this year at getting separation. About 4.4 feet of now, separation. again, not a huge sample size because he hasn't played much since the early first couple of weeks of the season, but and I know there's also probably amongst Cardinals fans when it comes to Dorch, I know what you probably remember the most is what happened most recently. That was the botched punt at uh, in the Minnesota game. But let's take that out. That's special teams. Uh, yeah, you should have looked it in, all those things. But let's talk about receiving right now. If he's truly your best receiver at getting separation, shouldn't he at least be on the field occasionally? How many snaps did Dorch play? Do you know that off the top of your head? Or do you 20. Have 20 snaps. 26% of the total snaps. You got 14 on special teams. He's playing a quarter of the game. A.J. Green is playing half the game. Robbie Anderson and AJ, is playing barely at all. And I think A.J. Green got targeted once. It just seems like so a A.J. Green is out there snaps. half the time, and he's getting zero to one targets a game. Oh, he's not getting targeted at all. You look at the route trees. We talked earlier about DeAndre Hopkins. In his first game back, he's all over the field. Second game back, he's only on the left side. The result is, and this was the same way with Hollywood Brown when he was playing and Hopkins wasn't, Kyler Murray is essentially using the left half of the field and negating the entire right half, at least beyond five yards past the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Some things happen close to the line of scrimmage, but if you're talking down the field on the right side of the field, there's nothing. There has been nothing for the majority of this season because A.J. Green either isn't getting open or the relationship between the two of them isn't strong enough that they're creating on that side of the field. You're playing offense with one hand tied behind your back. That's what the Cardinals are doing. 
And I, I, I'm with you a little bit. I, I understand the dissemination of playing time amongst receivers baffles me because it changes every week. You just create an easy challenge for the defense. Easy challenge is an oxymoron. I realize that. But the challenge for the defense every week is to figure out how to stop the opposing team's offense. It's really easy to do that when a guy who only goes out for seven snaps gets targeted on three of them. Is that not an obvious tell of what your plan is on offense, Cliff Kingsbury? Also, too, keep in mind, they don't have a running game right now. James Connors missed some time. Kyler Murray led the team in rushing with 36 yards last You know what game. I'm really curious about, Steve? What? If they trot out A.J. Green for nearly 50% of the snaps again, like if you're the defense, do you even bother covering him other than one-on-one? Like why would you go zone against that guy? Why would you even offer protection if he's not getting thrown to when he's on the field half of the time? Like like if any if anybody from Seattle's defense is listening right now, like just don't cover AJ Green. He won't get thrown to. Don't worry about him. He's he's worthless to this offense apparently. Coming up next. Cam Johnson left the game last night early with a knee injury, non-contact knee injury. He could be out for some time, maybe significant time. If he is out for significant time, what do the Suns do to replace him? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.